Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Well, hello, everybody out there. We have a rough one for you today. I'm going to have to reel myself in a little bit, but we're going to talk about the animal trade industry. We'll talk about just basic facts, basic facts. And then we're going to go into our opinions, our thoughts, our beliefs. And so that'll be the fun part. Lots of (laughs) soapboxes there, but we're going to get started. We've mentioned in other episodes our thoughts on breeding. We're going to talk more about the breeding industry and how this fits into the animal trade industry. And this conversation is going to be pretty jam-packed. So we're going to split this into two episodes. So next week, we're going to continue on some of the other aspects of the animal trade industry, including pet foods and all of the gritty stuff. You want to keep it tuned here to the animal files because we're going to get into it. So let's just start breeding. How does this fit in the animal trade industry, Miranda? (laughs) Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there who really would not be able to see this as an animal trade business. They would maybe view it as... It's something that is doing the best for the animals and doing the best for the humans. And they don't really look at it beyond that. But the whole thing about breeding is it's a business. It's something that people do to make money. And money is the key word because that's pretty much why a lot of these breeders go into this. Unless they're responsible. It's money. How can we make money? Oh, I don't know anything about science. I like pit bulls. Let's see if I can breed pit bulls in my backyard. Mm. (laughs) And that's kind of how it gets started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not a good thing. All right, continue. I'm going to reel myself in. Reel (laughs) myself in. (laughs) So let's talk about what breeding actually is and what the process of breeding, why they do it. Well, first, I just want to say that I think that for most people's understanding, they just look at the breeds saying, oh, well, you know, I I like Dobermans or I like boxers or whatever particular breed, um, Dalmatians is what I meant to say, whatever breed it is that they might be looking at and they like how it looks, they've maybe heard good things about the particular breed from people. And that's basically as far as it goes. They don't really know anything else beyond that. So it's important to understand that what breeding actually is, it's the practice of mating selected animals with the intention of maintaining or producing specific qualities and characteristics. To be able to get these breeds to consistently look and generally behave the same way throughout the line, there has to be 
interference, basically. Mm -hmm. So this means that there's no natural selection that occurs. You know, in the wild, you take two elephants that mate, they're just coming together on their own. There's nobody pushing them together. They're choosing that on their own, you know, through their, their own mating selection, obviously, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't know what the outcome is going to be in the elf's offspring because there's such a diversity of genetics in the different herds that can come together and can make a variety of different results in the offspring. Okay. But when you come with breeding, now this started many, many years ago, like this has been going on for probably a few thousand years. I don't know the exact time period that it started, but basically they're looking at one type of dog or cat. We'll, we'll, we'll focus on the dogs. It's just a little easier, but they're okay. taking one type of dog and another type of dog. And they're saying, okay, well, in this dog, we like these characteristics. We like that this dog is a good swimmer, or we like that this dog has good energy levels, is able to run for long distances or something like that. Or this other dog, we like that it has these hunting skills or I don't know, something else. But then they also look at it and say, well, we don't like how these ears are, or this this type of fur is not ideal for the kind of work that we want to breed them for. And so they they involve science and other factors to to merge these two dogs together. And they play around with the, the genetics and everything to create what is considered the ideal. Yeah, that ideal is very, uh, uh, very subjective. Right. It may not be ideal across the board, just ideal for that particular person. Mm-hmm. And the process probably can take, I would imagine, take quite a while to eventually create and be able to repeat the ideal characteristics in each animal. This process, though, doesn't just happen in dogs. It happens in cats. It happens in livestock. And apparently it's even done with fish. Oh, gosh. I don't know. (laughs) I know I said I'd reel myself in. But every while you were talking, the only pictures that kept going through my head were pictures of Dr. Frankenstein creating his special monster. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's a very good, uh, good analogy. Well, not analogy, but a good example. Yes. Yeah, I know. And that's what I kept thinking. I mean, we were basically Frankensteining these animals for our own benefit, sometimes nefarious, sometimes maybe neutral, but is it any of it in the, the best interest of the animal? It's ugh. okay. I'm reeling myself back in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how many different animals get bred like this. Mm -hmm. It's very much a customer-driven industry as well because it's the consumers who make the decisions of what characteristics, traits they want in these animals depending on what purpose they want to use them for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the optimum word, use. Yeah, yeah. 
That's not a very nice sounding word either. <laughs> I mean, we talked about a little bit that if you are breeding responsibly for the betterment of the animal, then you're doing it the right way. Right. If you are doing it so you can have more green in your pocket or you can create some weird deformity that you think looks good, then you're doing it wrong. And Such as I love cat. <laughs> yeah. Those little munchkin cats. Jeez, don't even get me started. Cute as heck, but yeah, not good. Those are the people that we have to, you know, we have to not buy from. Just we we can't. I mean, the, these breeding standards are so detrimental to the actual animal. And it's not about them. It's about putting money in the pocket. And not, and I'm talking about the big breeders too. I'm not talking about mm-hmm. your backyard ones. I'm talking about the big ones. Oh, yeah. The aristocracy type ones where like, oh, we got to have the best looking corgi or we got to have the best looking, you know, guard dog for the castle. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> so, no. so let's. Speaking speaking of using breeding for the betterment of the animal, there are breeders for the livestock. I can't speak to the other animals. I didn't really find information on that for sure, but I did find information on the livestock that because we've messed them up so badly that there are breeders that are actually, their intention is to try to bring the livestock back to more of their normal way natural way of being oh yes those are the responsible readers i'm talking about when it comes to livestock i have a friend and she has devoted so much of her energy to preserving heritage breeds and bringing them back to their healthy selves to reverse what we've done to them and create viable hardy healthy happy animals and i wish more people would do that. So if you ever are at a farm market, people, and if you are ever at a place that does specialty meats and you see heritage breed, you know what? Spend the extra money because the people who are breeding the heritage breeds for the most part are putting the viability of the animal before the money. Even Mm -hmm. though it's more expensive, it doesn't mean that they're doing it for money. They're doing it because it's a little bit more intensive. And it takes more time and it takes more thought and more science to bring it back. So, Which means you can't sell as much in terms of quantity as you can with the other animals. Exactly. Most of these, most of these heritage breeders, they have their smaller farms. Mm-hmm. So their overhead's a little bit more than like your factory farms, but they are putting the animal first. So if you see heritage breeds somewhere in a farmer's market, do a little bit of research, make sure that they're doing it for the right reasons and buy heritage meat. Mm-hmm. Just if you're going to buy meat, buy from responsible livestock breeders. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if we have those labels here in Alberta. Not that I've noticed, but I'm, I'm going to definitely start paying attention to that a little bit more. Yeah. Or just go to your local farm, a smaller local farm mm-hmm. and purchase your meat from these smaller farms because they do put the animal first. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to eat meat, make sure the animals are being taken care of properly and being put top of mind. Mm -hmm. Now that we've talked about the difference between heritage breeders and regular breeders, 
let's talk about the difference between professional readers and backyard readers. And I will mm-hmm. again try to rein myself in. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to go over this and uh, hopefully I can behave. So, <laughs> so one thing I want to really comment on is that just because a breeder is considered a professional breeder, it does not mean that they are putting the animal first. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, definitely. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for (laughs) clarifying that. (laughs) And there's a lot of quote unquote breeds out there that are being very much pushed as purebreds when they really are not. Absolutely not. How many of you have golden doodles or Yorkie poos, cockapoos, morkies, pomskies, shorkies, among whatever other creative name people have come up with? These are not purebreds. Regardless of what you have been told, they are not purebreds. They've basically taken two dogs, bred them together. There's no genetics. There's no science. There's nothing that has been done to create them. And you can prove that to yourself by looking at two different golden doodles side by side. Do they look anything alike? You could probably have some that are standing two feet, three feet tall and other ones that are maybe only, I don't know, one foot. Yeah, like, depending like, on, like their, yeah, their heights can vary like greatly. They use. Right. And their hair coats can vary greatly and their appearances can vary greatly. There's no consistency in the breed. No. So these are not your purebreds. A purebred is a breed that is consistently looks and basically has the same behavioral characteristics from one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Yeah. These mixes, I'm going to call them mixes because that's what they are. They're not purebreds. Yeah. They're designer. They are, these are the designer pets that we're telling, telling you to stay away from. You know, okay, so you get a gold, golden doodle. Okay, but it, oh, but I'm not allergic to them now because they have poodle hair. <laughs> so what? <laughs> I mean, I know there's reasons. I know that there are some intentions behind some of these mixes. But does that make them healthy for the animal? Healthy for the breed? You know, I mean, it, that's, that's where the question comes in my mind. Some of these mixes are fine they might naturally come together on their own if there wasn't any interference. But my biggest, I mean, there is the issue that these animals are not having their well-being thought of in the full extent in order to create these other mixes. Mm -hmm. But my biggest concern with it is the fact that consumers are being misled. Mm, Yeah, they are. You know, there's this false information that is being given and people are being willing to spend however hundreds of dollars they're being asked for for these breeds, which are not breeds. Yeah. You're basically putting your money down the toilet. <laughs> right. You're being taken advantage of. Yeah. So you take that into consideration together with the fact of, well, how are these animals actually being treated and what are the consequences of this trade, this industry to the animals what is the consequences to them yeah there are definite ones both 
I think mainly with the professional breeders. I mean, the mixes, sometimes you, you won't have as many health issues, but mm. some of these professional breeders, they are breeding health issues. Oh yeah. Into the animal. It's not for the sake. That's why we put it into this animal trade because it's about money. Mm -hmm. It's about money. It's capitalist in the worst form because it doesn't, it's for living things. You're trading living things for money. And that to me puts it like way on the bottom rung of the capitalist ladder. It's like way down there as nefarious. I don't know. But again, I digress because I don't want to go on a soapbox. <laughs> but do your research and not only on the dogs, but do it on the actual people doing the breeding because mm -hmm. we have these backyard breeders too, and they don't care. They don't care about the animal. Ugh, they just don't care. If you love animals, then you need to put them first. Mm -hmm. That's my soapbox for the first half. I will get down now. There's probably different types of backyard breeders, but one is, uh, is those people who allow their dog or cat to have a litter for whatever justification they're having that, oh, well, they need to have at least one litter or they just want to keep them having litters because they're against getting them spayed or neutered. But then they don't just give these animals away either. They sell them. Mm -hmm. So they're not even really a breeder, but they're still acting as a breeder in just because of the fact that they're selling the litters. Yeah, they say, oh, I have a good looking dog. Ooh, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I can make money. I can breed this dog, get a thousand bucks a pop. Mm -hmm. It's not about the animal. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll just keep mining my dog out for puppies. It's just, it's not healthy for the animal. I mean, seriously, if you think in the wild, animals pretty much, at least the larger animals have like maybe one, one pregnancy a year, maybe once every two years. Mm -hmm. They're not being bred over and over again. They don't like pop out their babies, nurse them and then get pregnant right away. Let's talk about the professional breed hmm. organizations. Yes. So where do they get these ideals from that these breeders follow? Well, you've probably heard of the American Kennel Club or the Canadian Kennel Club. Maybe they also have kennel clubs in other countries as well. They're the ones that provide the guidelines for what these animals should look like. And they have these shows on a regular basis, which just perpetuate how these animals should look and behave because they reward you if you've got the dog that has the best ideals, the best traits. And not only that, though, it's really, really strongly encouraged by these clubs to the breeders to follow these guidelines. To a fault. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know how far they go. I don't know if these breeders are made to feel like they're doing something wrong if they don't abide by these guidelines or if there could be any threats going on. I don't know about that. Well, I but would think if, be... if they want to have the certification AKC or CKC, then mm -hmm. they would have to follow and probably the punishment would be you didn't follow, you no longer have that certification. Right. So the prestige so, that goes along with that. 
which ultimately goes under the money thing again. Exactly. If you don't have the prestige, then you can't sell for probably the same amount or maybe sell as many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thoughts. Uh- <laughs> so just going to go a little bit more into detail about what the breeding involves. So we mentioned about genetics. That's kind of one of the key factors in it. But it also relies on statistics, reproductive physiology, computer science, molecular genetics. And there also is environmental factors that need to be taken into consideration because that can have an impact on what the offspring comes out as or develops as. Yeah, sounds like an awful lot of complexity that the backyard breeder should not be doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is another reason why those golden golden doodles, cockapoos and that are not breeds because none of these things are being taken into consideration. Good point. It also requires finding suitable females and males to create the desired offspring, which I believe we touched on as well. So, you know, you're kind of having to find your so-called studs and, and whatnot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what they call them. There's Mm -hmm. basically you're pimping out your dogs, you know, to be harsh, but that's exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want, you want my dog? Well, okay. Pay me a thousand dollars or whatever. And you can have my dog's sperm. Right. My cat's sperm. (sighs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not good. <laughs> not good. Finding so it's it's like the animal sex trade. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know that's extreme, but yeah, no, that's kind of what I think. It's it literally it's prostitution for animals. Well, kind of is because it's not like they have a choice. No, they don't. It's it's just it's wrong. My opinion, my opinion, it's just wrong. Okay. So now (laughs) we know where I stand on this. Um, (laughs) Let's just really just wrap up with a thought. What is your thought? My thought is like, stay away. (laughs) Go to a rescue. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I would definitely second that. It's breeding is something that needs to not continue, except for maybe the purpose of helping the animals get back to their more natural state. Here, here. All right. Well, that was kind of rough for me. We're going to go into some other things (laughs) that may be rough for me. Let's start with pet shops. Why are they bad? (laughs) Why we should not have them anymore? So let's just go into that. Let's talk about pet shops. Oh, pet shops are such a... uh. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of issues with pet shops, starting with where they get their animals from. Now, it's I know it's hard for a lot of people to not go into a pet shop and see these animals and go, oh, they're so cute. Mm -hmm. And that, but... What you may not realize is that a lot of these dogs and cats are coming from puppy and cat mills. We're going to go into what those are shortly here, but they're just not an air, a place to get animals from where they are treated well at all. 
And sometimes also it's from people who have unethically captured animals in the wild. So a lot of reptiles, for example, some of the birds, maybe even the fish, some probably, probably the fish. Probably smuggled. Right. When animals are taken this way, their well-being is never, ever taken into consideration. It's solely a money-making thing. So there's a lot of issues, which we're going to go into a little bit in a little bit here too, uh, as to why those, why obtaining animals in that way is such a huge issue. And how if we buy animals that are obtained this way, how we are contributing to that issue. I like that. Contributing to the issue. You are perpetrating the retrieval of these smuggled animals from wild area areas that is actually illegal. So you are an accessory to illegal smuggling. Mm-hmm. I know that's harsh, but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Think about that a little bit. And another issue is the staff that they have working at these pet shops often really have no training, no understanding of how to properly care for an animal. I've heard stories of dogs and cats that are kept in these, uh, I don't even know what you would call them, a kennel, I guess, of some of sorts, basically a see-through kennel. They're, They're cages. They're cages. Yeah. And a lot of them have this wire bottom to them. No, nothing flat or, or soft or anything like that for them to stand in. It's just, a lot of them just have this wire surface. And a lot of these an- animals end up with deformed feet because of that. Yeah, I've actually heard of horrible stories where the animals that did not sell right away, they will take them off display and they get chained and kept in the back improperly Mm -hmm. because they're not sellable quote unquote right so they don't even they don't even do anything humane with the animal by giving it to a rescue where Mm. somebody can actually take care of it and give it the life it needs they just sit in a cage because Mm -hmm. they're quote unquote unsellable Mm-hmm. That that breaks my heart. I think that breaks my heart so much is that these animals, they're, they're, they're commodities. They're not, and that's why it's animal trade, animal trade. They're commodities. Right. We're mm-hmm. not living things to these people. They're dollar bills and that's it. Mm-hmm. So sad. No, it's, it's important to realize that although you can lump all of these pet shops into the pet trade industry, you can't necessarily lump them all into the mistreatment of animals aspect. Yeah, I I would agree with that. There are, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of places where the animals are, have been obtained legally and are getting good treatment. And there are other places like some of the pet smarts and the pet goes out there, not sponsored, that actually partner with rescue organizations. So they would have animals like, well, at least cats and dogs, they have mm-hmm. in their facilities that are actually rescued animals. And I'm not putting them down with the rest of the, the baddies. But yeah, so we can't lump everything. I mean, just like in life, you can't lump things into boxes. You know, mm-hmm. just put that everywhere. Right. But it's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. But another issue with these pet shops is, you know, some of them might have a veterinarian on staff, but the people who are working in the front 
area, a lot of them are minimum wage workers. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with those people or that they're not intelligent, but the fact remains is that generally they are not trained. They are not trained in understanding what animals need, how to make a good choice on matching an animal with a potential caregiver, being able to recommend products or anything like that. Basically, they really have no training on that. So if you take advice from them, you're basically playing Russian roulette. Yeah, that's scary. That is scary. And plus fact, they'll just sell it to anybody. Like if somebody comes in and is looking for a bait dog Hmm. for their dog fighting ring, Mm -hmm. where are they going to go? They're going to go to a pet store because there's no questions asked. Right. They can get their bait dog. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay. (laughs) I will keep my mouth shut. Zipped. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's another big issue. If they'll sell it to anybody, then you know they're not in it for the betterment of the animal. Right. You know, at least with rescue and shelter organizations, they usually have a pretty extensive questionnaire that you have to complete so that they have a good understanding of who you are, what your lifestyle is like, what you know, what your intentions are, all of this kind of stuff. What Um, vet you're going to use. I know that's probably (laughs) a question. (laughs) It might be. (laughs) (laughs) So we can't emphasize enough that rescue and shelter organizations are the way to go because they're not in it for the money. They're in it for the well-being of the animals. Their ultimate goal is they want these animals to be able to find a forever home. Yeah. And since they operate on donations, pretty much, you know, they're not in it for the money. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's go to the dark seedy side of this. (laughs) Let's go into the people that actually sell these animals to the pet stores. <laughs> mm. Let's go to the puppy mills and the cat mills. And I will try to be good here because this is, oh boy, this is a, this is a touchy one for me. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the, the biggest problem is, is that for the people who are not aware and have never really thought about it, even, even for somebody like myself, I would not necessarily be be able to look at an animal outside of that environment and be able to say, oh, yes, this animal is definitely from a puppy or a cat mill because they probably at least make up the effort, make the effort to try to clean them up and try to make them look healthy. (laughs) (laughs) But if you've ever hear about these mills, these animals are kept in, in really cramped living spaces, usually so that they can barely move around. Maybe they might be able to turn around. Maybe they might be able to stand up, maybe. And they might also be cramped together with other dogs and cats as well. And as soon as they have a litter, I think that their litter is taken away from them right away as well. And they're not treated properly. They're not made sure that they're getting the proper food, nourishment, and water. They they live in their filth too. The, yeah, they're 
their environment is never cleaned. So a lot of them have health issues of various sorts and they never receive any medical treatment for it. So if they have an infection, you know, you, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you don't know what gets passed on to their offspring. Yeah. And, you know, if they have infections, they're not being taken care of these, the females literally can die just because they're getting pregnant too much. They can die because they have an infection. They can die in childbirth. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're, they're commodities. Again, they, they, they're matted fur, their dirty feet. They're living in their feces. Yeah. Ugh. They're not, they're not taken out for walks. They're not given any attention or cuddles. They're, you know, they're not they're able not to go something. No. And they're not taken out to go to the bathroom. So they just go where they, where they are because that's the only option they have. Yeah. That's, uh, I get so sad. I get so sad. I get so sad. Yeah. I mean, it just, uh, just don't buy dogs from puppy mills. <laughs> I'm so glad right now that there are a lot of, I don't know if in, there is in Canada, I'm sure there are, um, that they're actually making some of these puppy mills actually illegal and they're, they're breaking them up and they're trying to get rid of them. I know here in the mm-hmm. States, you can't really buy cats and dogs in pet stores anymore unless it's partnered with a, a rescue. Like I mentioned earlier, there's like a lot of the pet stores, quote unquote, that we used to go to as little kids, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, I'm starting to see that here too. I, I'm not even sure where there's a pet store actually that is selling animals anymore. But there's also an issue right now with this whole time that we're in. Because yes, a lot of people have chosen animals from rescue shelters and humane societies, but they have essentially run out you know, because a lot of people have got animals because they're home more or maybe they're lonely or whatever. There's various reasons why people have gotten animals. And so a lot of these shelters and rescue societies have emptied as a result of that, which it's good, but there's a potential negative side to that. However, because there is, has been a waiting list for more of these animals, some people have gone to other sources to get the animals that they want because they can't get them at the shelters anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there wasn't any specification from what I read on exactly what where these sources are. It was just basically su- suggested that these sources were not ethical sources. Mm. <laughs> Insert image of bad living conditions here. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, maybe there was a secret boom in the pet mill industry uh hopefully that does not continue and i hope that this show teaches you listeners out there what you may be getting if you choose these avenues if you do not choose to go to a rescue or choose to go to a humane society these are some of the conditions that you may be getting your animal from Mm -hmm. so keep that in the back of your mind and make good choices. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> so let's go into, we talked a little bit about this periodically with my soapboxes and my, you know, 
<laughs> shout outs. <laughs> but what are the consequences of supporting some of these traits? Well, one of the overlying consequences of this is overpopulation. You may not realize that you as the pet parent, guardian, owner, are contributing to an overpopulation problem when you choose to buy your animal from a breeder, pet store, or any other source where you're actually having to pay money to get the animal. Yes, you do pay money to a certain extent when you get it from a rescue shelter uh, society, but that money is going towards the costs that they incur for caring for that animal. Yeah, they're not making a profit off those animals. Right. Whereas these other organizations are making a profit. It's solely about profit. Yeah. Well, here's a visual for you guys out there. Every animal you buy from a breeder is causing the death of another in a shelter. I'm going to leave you with that image. That's a pretty powerful image. Just think about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to add to that that in the rescue and, well, generally it's the humane societies, that it's not just sick or old animals that get euthanized. It's also ones that have overextended their stay because they have not been able to find a home. Yeah, it's even like year-old kittens that nobody has picked up or adopted. There's nothing wrong with most of these animals. Mm -hmm. It's sad, but it's the state of affairs. I'm going to go back to that image. Every animal you buy from a breeder or a pet store or a puppy mill, you are causing the death of another animal. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that these pet shops, pet puppy mills of the, I mean, they're not even treated like living things. They're not. So that cute little puppy you just bought, their mom is probably sitting and it's filth with you know, bugs all over it, sores because it can't stand up and move around. Mm -hmm. It's a scary, dark world out there. Mm -hmm. The health issues alone. Oh my gosh. And not being taken care of. So these, these, they, some of these, I'm sure if they get a wound and they're not getting medical, they may have maggots. I mean, it's just, it's just a horror film in my head mm -hmm. right now. And the loss of lives, like I said, again, one animal from the breeder causes the death of an animal in a rescue. Mm -hmm. And guess what? When these animals, these dams or bitches are bred and they have all these health issues because they're not being taken care of properly, it's not just affecting them. It's affecting their offspring as well. Mm -hmm. And it, the litter is removed from the mother before they've been properly weaned. This can cause a lot of behavior issues. If there's health issues, that can be transferred to the offspring as well. There's, there can be a lot of mental health as well as physical issues in the offspring that you end up having to deal with when you choose to get an animal from these organizations. Yeah, not to mention the genetic deformities, mental gen genetic deformities that can happen. And once, honestly, once these dams and bitches are done being useful, they're just tossed aside. They're like basically mm -hmm. killed and put in the garbage. Yeah. 
because they're no longer money-making machines. Right. And I have to add this because I am an energy practitioner. Think about the energetic ramifications on these puppies. Not being, like you said, not being able to be weaned properly. Most animals, actually not most, all animals get a lot of their training from their mother. Mm -hmm. And if you take that away from the puppies, there is an energetic sever that happens. And that I believe is what creates all of the other issues that you mentioned is the it's a serious thing and energetically to do this to an animal it's it's little mental and emotional torture i've seen pictures of dairy cows when they finally get inseminated and they give birth and the babies get ripped away from the mother so they can keep producing the milk that we drink every day Mm. and the pain and anguish that mother cow goes through not having her baby, I, I mean, you don't believe me? YouTube, go look it up. You will find it and you, your heart will break. Mm-hmm. And this is what's going on at the, at the smallest animal as well as the largest. Mm-hmm. And then there's the transportation of these animals as well. Oh, gosh. The transportation is just horrendous. Ethical breeders... I think should only be breeding locally and only selling to, to local places, not shipping them off by plane or boat or whatever to whoever is the highest bidder or whatever the case may be. Oh gosh. There was a story I had read about a few months ago. It didn't give details on who the dogs belonged to or where exactly they were going. But basically, these dogs belonged to somebody. They were shoved together in these crates so that they couldn't really move. And there was hardly any breathing room. Oh, geez. And they were loaded into the cargo part of the plane. Nobody in the airline either cared or was knowledgeable enough to ensure that the proper protocol was being followed for shipping animals. And by the time they got to their destination, and it was something like Europe to North America or something, something like that kind of a distance. Most of these dogs were dead by the time they got to their destination. That's so sad. I have heard of planes uh, or people, you know, I don't know who in the process, but when they put their dogs in are on these planes or these animals on planes, they get, some of them get wrapped. Like there was one, I heard a story that they wrapped a dog crate in cellophane. Mm. Uh, What? I mean, yeah, that the dog was dead by the time it got to his destination. You know, like I'm sure it's suffocated or whatever. Yeah. I mean, and these cargo holds, they don't even have proper presser, pressurization and that was a hard temperature word for me to say <laughs> plus yeah, the temperature is an issue too it's not regulated and you're mm-hmm. putting these animals and then that the airlines need to get on board create pressurized cabins for animal transport seriously or but, banned transportation of it altogether yeah you know i just keep it local just really keep it local. And if you're going to keep it in country and then you drive or you travel, 
you know, where the animal is with you the whole time. Like, seriously, that's just the transportation is a nightmare mm-hmm. for these animals. Imagine you have no idea what's going on. You're being thrown into a box and put into a cold room and then your ears hurt for like seven hours. Like, ha- think about it from their perspective. I mean, seriously, that's a lot of trauma for these animals to go through. They don't know what's going on. They don't know why they're being transported. They don't know what this cold box is that they're in. They have no clue. All right, I'm getting on a soapbox big time. So I'm gonna reel myself (laughs) back in again. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Stay local, go to rescues. So what are some of the regulations that you think need to be put into place? I mean, we know what I believe. (laughs) Yeah, I think that a lot of it is based on our personal opinions. Uh, I don't really think there is much in place. I mean, there is basically the only thing I think is kind of in place is that if people discover that animals are being mistreated, they can report it. And these places or people can have the animals taken away from them if it can be proved that they're not treating the animals properly. Other than that, I don't think there really is much, much else. So be a vocal animal advocate Mm -hmm. and not the crazy ones, the ones that are my way or every other way is bad. You know, none of that. Find a compromise and get your voices heard. So these Mm -hmm. animals can be treated with dignity they can be treated with compassion they can be treated with proper health care and wellness care and mental care the more we speak up and the more we withhold the money from these organizations the more these organizations will change Mm -hmm. and when it comes to the breeding industry my feeling is that there needs to be some kind of an organization that is in control of monitoring and regulating this industry. So they would be making sure that the breeders were doing it for the welfare of the animals rather than the desires of the humans. They would be having somebody like having regular inspections to make sure that the facilities, the environment and that is providing all the care that the animals need. So not just the the physical aspect of, um, you know, whether their kennels are being kept clean and whether they're being provided enough food and water, but also that they're getting exercise regularly, that they've got somebody that is coming and interacting with them and they're being provided with enrichment activities. And so that their mental, their physical, their emotional well-being is all being looked after. And they're not sitting in their filth in a cage that hurts their feet. Right. In a cramped cage with mats and dirt and filth and insects all over them. And then an added thing, too, is that, is that there should be, I think, a process involved in vetting who gets these animals. Oh, amen to that. Heck yeah. (laughs) And make sure you have a vet on hand. 
Yes. <laughs> don't get an animal. We've talked about this so many times. Do not even think about bringing an animal into your home unless you have a vet. Vet first, animal second, period. Mm-hmm. And have a really good understanding of why you are getting the animal, not getting it just because of how it looks or because it's a designer breed. Yeah. And the last major thing is if you're going to get an animal, rescues, shelters, the Humane Society. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if you're going towards the livestock, go to responsible breeders who are bettering the animal for the animal's sake, not their pocketbook's sake. Mm -hmm. Know what you're doing. Know Mm -hmm. what you're getting and stay informed. So on that note, do we have any last minute thoughts before we close for the day? I think you pretty much summed it up. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell I've thought about this over and over and over again for many years? (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, hopefully you were able to bring some of the great information that we brought to you and make good choices. That is the ultimate goal here is to make good choices Mm -hmm. and always put the animal ahead of the money. Yes. Forever homes, forever love, forever care, Mm -hmm. period. All right. Well, that does it for us for this week. Next week, we are going to go into the even darker side of the animal trade industry. And we're going to go into the meat trade Mm. and the pet food trade. You're Mm going to want to stick around and watch for that. So that's coming up next week. So have a wonderful week, everybody. And we will see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.